I love that ad. I love that ad. I love that ad. Hello and welcome back to the very first episode of I Love That Ad uh, in 2022. And we're kicking it off with a very special guest. Uh, welcome to Keen Corbett, digital marketing strategist and lecturer specializing in social media content strategy. Keen, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Very good, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. And we, of course, we have uh, our trusty companion, Shane W. Brennan, uh, at the helm we? as well. Geez, you really struggled. You didn't know what to say there when you said first episode. You went first episode of I Love That Ad, and you weren't sure you were going to say season two, 2022, and you kind of... Let's just say, it's this okay. is still, it's still the first back, week everyone. of January. Uh, the, the, the rust is still being shaken off. Uh, so next episode, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be... A bit cleaner. Right back. Right, <laughs> right back into the, the slick, seamless uh, <laughs> intros we always have for this show. Exactly. Keen, how are you doing? I'm really good, thanks. Really good. Um, yeah, just uh, back after the Christmas break. My kids are in school. The schools are open. Kian is relaxed and happy. Uh, yeah, can't complain at all. Yeah, you seem you seem quite serene there. It's uh, I'm almost yeah. a jealous of you. Well, one one of my uh, yeah New Year's resolution is just no stress now this year. I think after after the pandemic, everyone has kind of the battle scars. So I'm in into a nice kind of calm 2022. Lots of exercise, lots of meditation. Happy days. Amazing. I want you to email us the moment that breaks. <laughs> <laughs> An hour after we stop recording. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. I, don't think I lasted it's, seven days. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Which which um, inevitably will, will come. But the, that's then a teachable moment, Shane. You know, that's, exactly. that's, when, I, that's when I grow as a person. Yeah, failure is important to life. Like, that's it's not it. a bad thing. <laughs> Oh, you should definitely rewatch this episode come next November or December and see, see where you <laughs> yeah, go with yeah, yeah, there. With, exactly, yeah. With, with I'll that. be fully bald and I'll have taken up smoking. I'm like, yeah, that didn't work out. Didn't work out. <laughs> Keen, we've uh, known you uh, many times over the years uh, through through various roles, um, and you've always you've always been the consummate uh, digital um, advocate and and person, especially along the lines of social media and and content and kind of pushing a pushing good strategies along that and you're obviously specializing in social media content strategy how have you seen that evolve over the last even over the covid period or, or in the years previous to that has has it changed a lot or is it just a case about content uh, brands just creating content and getting something out there yeah no it, it's a really good question it, it absolutely has changed so social media will always be that kind of cultural barometer you know uh, and it'll be a constant dialogue um uh, a really interesting trend that we're seeing at the moment is that the newcomer TikTok has completely changed the conversation. So it's mm. it's changed the style, it's changed the pace, um, and it, it, it's really kind of started to have a cultural impact. And um, one of the, the major changes that I'm seeing is that it's becoming uh, much more personable, much more kind of relaxed, and you're seeing way more human faces in content. I think okay. back in the day before, you would see like a lot of infographics, a lot of kind of animations, whereas, whereas that's really starting to change now. You're, you're starting to see that you need to see a person, you know, you need something explained to you. Um, and, and that style of communication, I, I think, is really, really interesting. It's becoming much friendlier, much more accessible. Uh, and even for content creators, I think that the standard has both dropped and risen you know it's yeah. nearly dropped down to meet people yeah. and people yeah. are, are rising up up to it yeah. so before there there was nearly kind of barriers to entry you know you needed that kind of high production value you needed that kind of real top class brand conversation and that's really started to relax you know you're really starting to see brands speaking uh, in a much more human voice and you're you're seeing 
brands kind of adopt human faces, you know, to, so the, the conversation has, has become much more kind of accessible and, and relaxed. Is that, is that a challenge for brand that they're hitching their wagon to an actual face, a, a person, a persona Absolutely. and an identity? Absolutely. Well, I think social media was always a challenge for brands in that you had to kind of relinquish that control. You know, mm. I think brands were a lot happier when you had a creative director sitting in the studio calling the shots and everything was storyboarded out. I think everyone at the, at the corporate table was a lot more relaxed when that was the case. Uh, but with social media, there is you have to let go of, of that. You know, you're, you're kind of handing your brand over. Uh, either to an influencer, but also you're handing it over to the audience to make something new of that brand. You know, so mm-hmm. there was always going to be that kind of um, relinquishment of of of, con- of control. But but absolutely, you, you know, because you need now a face to the brand, you're you're going to have to have a trusted, either a trusted influencer or what a lot of brands are doing now is they're looking for someone internally in the organization who has a good face to to mm-hmm. become that face of the brand. Yeah. You know, so and and that I see that as a huge opportunity, you know, that you, you can now hand the reins over to someone who has the authority and the expertise of the brand. But they have that lovely kind of human face and, and, and that kind of relaxed uh, way of conversation. Like what I think is interesting, particularly about TikTok, and this happened before with um, the rise of the, the um, digital cinema as well with DSLRs. Mm. So an yeah. awful lot of where the technology rose and became more inexpensive, but the quality was high enough to consume. Therefore, mm. an awful lot of um, filmmakers were able to do things that they weren't able to do before because they didn't have budgets mm. for film and they weren't able yeah. to f- like lights and you know what I mean? Things like that. So mm. we saw that happen in like 2009, 2008, 2009, 2010. And the same thing seems to be happening with the technology and the phones. The quality is there. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. it's, it's the people are walking around with a camera. I wasn't able to get my hands on when I was 18. Everyone mm. does, you know what I mean? Totally. The strapline yeah. for Apple's new uh, iPhone 13, I think it is now, the, the literal strapline is Hollywood in your pocket. Yeah. Because they've, 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 yeah. they've invested so much in the software and the hardware to, and they've done loads of little featurettes uh, that mm. look Hollywood great on the as, as part of the promotion. And it's like, totally. I remember watching a documentary about this where studio heads were letting students take these um, very inexpensive cameras, maybe they were probably about 30 grand, but compared to a film camera, and letting them go shoot stuff and seeing mm. the output and being like, oh my God, we can see if these are good filmmakers for such small investment. Yeah. And it's the same now. People are like, okay, well, the technological problem has been removed. Let's just mm. see if my content, what I actually put out there, is in any way good or people adapt to it. And I think as well during the pandemic, people have kind of lost a bit of shame. There's a bit of kind of like, <laughs> fuck it, let's give this a go. Yeah, I have nothing yeah, yeah. else to do. I'm stuck in these four walls. Totally. I, yeah, absolutely. Reach, you know, I, I think that's a, I think that's a really interesting point. And and kind of like we're, we're saying, so technology has come down to reach people, made it more mm. accessible. But people's editing skills and the time that they're willing to put into it and mm. the time that they're willing to put into learning how to make great content has risen as well. Yeah. You know, so you're seeing content creators are no longer just funny people they're nearly kind of editors in their own right yeah. you know so they're like they're choosing the angles at which to film uh, they're choosing the music they're choosing the, the kind of fast paced cuts and sometimes kind of lifting in gifts and, and elevating their content like that like there's there's a really interesting shift at the moment happening with irish comedians so you know the likes of kind of justine stafford and uh michael fry so so guys like that who are obviously very funny creators they're now editing their content to a level that that could nearly rival the bbc you know it's 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 so well produced 
And well, I think the, some of the some when they're when they're upskilling on on kind of the post production process, that's then informing their their actual content as yeah. well. Well, if I do this, I can edit it that way, and it, it kind of becomes a self fulfilling circle, and, mm. and it kind of well, further enhances the democratization of of this content creation. The the other thing as well, and I've talked about him an awful lot on this podcast, is the comedian Andrew Schultz in in the states, and he yeah. owns his own. Uh, advertising agency as well and has a very popular podcast called flagrant Two, and he couldn't get a special from netflix from comedy central for anything so he just started right. paying a cameraman to come around okay. filming putting the stuff on youtube he's now one of the biggest comedians in the states and he's you like he's all of his content is his he never had mm-hmm. to compromise anything he 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 got a netflix special as a tv show of him talking to camera because mm. of what he did he started doing during the pandemic and I think an awful lot of comedians, and he's a big kind of pusher of this for comedians who would listen to him, which I imagine an awful lot of professional comedians was, was like, you have the ability, push your content, own your content, and like put it out there. And I think you can see that because um, I know Stafford, um, her stuff is really good. And an awful lot of the mm. editing coming out of that is is quite cool. And it's like small stuff and they're trying things. And they're as we, yeah. we talked earlier, like they're they're letting stuff maybe not do as well. But then the mm. stuff that lands, they're like, okay, that's now going to be a staple. You know what I mean? It's all this yeah. trial and error, yeah. which is just, it's such amazing real-time feedback for a content yeah. um, content producer. Absolutely. And it, it's funny to see that kind of like swing of, of power, you know, yeah. that, and yeah. it's kind yeah. of something that I'm, I'm going to be speaking about actually, um, just in the kind of cultural context of, of the ads that we're going to be chatting about. But it, it's, it's amazing to see that, you know, there's, there's no longer these gatekeepers of, of people yeah. who are going to decide this is the style of comedy that's going to go out now, or this is, you know, this is the cultural yeah. conversation now. It's been, you know, completely fragmented and democratized. Yeah, amazing. Well, that's a, I think that's a perfect opportunity to uh, hand over to you, Keen, and, and introduce what kind of theme you're going to bring us through today. And then your first ad, please. Great. Well, so I want to speak about um, a, a time really when, when advertising had a massive impact on me. Um, and I, I was trying to think about, well, if I was to talk about any kind of suite of ads, when did advertising really leave an indelible mark on me? Um, so I want to talk about the, the Levi's ads, but specifically the Levi's ads in the mid 90s. Uh, so I've selected three. Uh, one is called Spaceman, um, one is called Clayman, and the third one is called Mermaids. Uh, and I think the context in which these ads were released is really important, right? Um, so this is nearly autobiographical. So I, I turned 40 during the pandemic. So in the mid 90s, I was about 14, 15. And um, the context in which that uh, those ads were released is really important. So it's pre-internet, okay, um, which meant that, again, like we were saying, there was less gatekeepers, or, or sorry, there was more gatekeepers and less tastemakers um, around then. So brands could really kind of take the mantle of, of being kind of, um, you know, really kind of steering culture. Um, what I really loved about this was the the impact that these Levi's ads had on me in that they were nearly a cultural event in itself. You know, it's like, you know, the way we have now with the John Lewis ads and stuff like that. Yeah. Back in my mid-teens, you were really looking forward to seeing the Levi's ads. You know, like you were like, oh my God. And a lot of the time, the, the Levi's ads were so good and so in tune with culture. They were kind of better than the TV show that you were watching. You know, yeah. so you might be sitting through kind of, home and away but then the Levi's ad came on you were like you were glued to it and then you went back to home and away and you're like oh, all right fine so um so I think I think that's that's really important you know that the, the fact that um 
since then, you know, I, and I was reading up on it. You couldn't recreate what that uh, what happened there. You know, mm. you couldn't recreate a brand being so powerful um, that the music that they chose rose to the top of the charts. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. um, and and I suppose if I if I go back to the autobiographical element, when, when I was a teenager, I either wanted to be a rock star or work in advertising. So they were the two things that I wanted to do. And and luckily, I kind of got a, a chance to to do both of them. So so these ads were the, the culmination of the two of those. Mm. You know, it it wasn't just the effect of music in advertising. It was the effect of advertising on music and culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Look at it. Um, what's the first ad then you want to bring us through, and, and we'll d- deep dive into that a little bit more. So I'm going to bring it back to to 1995, um, when the two E were about toddlers, and um, the the ad is Spaceman. Okay, nice. cool. Let's, okay, we'll let's have a look. Pull it up here. instantly it's like a smell do you know you, like, absolutely <laughs> yeah i'm right back on the school bus that's it to that on, the, on, uh, on the radio that is that's weird the effect that can have yeah so so if i can transport you back to 14 year old kian when that ad came on my mind was absolutely blown i was like it was like mm. being in the future i was like oh, oh my god you know yeah. um so so a couple of things right if i bring it back to the, the marketing of it um, the, the brand message there is uh, the only genes in the universe cur- cut from uh, O1 denim. I've no idea what O1 denim are. But no. <laughs> to me, I was just like, I was like, oh, my God, like they, there's no competitors close to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, this, they're the best genes in the universe. Like yeah. all those competitors that are measly Earth ones. This one spans <laughs> spans planets. And I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And that really, really landed with me. Mm. Um uh, what I loved as well about the, the production of it, I, I thought was brilliant. Like it's obviously really futuristic, but obviously really stylized and very cool. And I was looking at it and kind of like 27 years later, some of them, some of those predictions are actually kind of right. Like, doesn't it look like he kind of pulls out an Apple watch? Yeah. You know, um, and there is like a robot vacuum cleaner. I've got a robot vacuum cleaner. Like mm-hmm. I have one of those. The and then when, the, when the, the drone or the, or the car that she's driving appears, that reminded me of Mana Technologies, you know that 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 company yeah. were like shining down and delivering and you were around Galway and all those different yeah. towns and stuff like that. And I was yeah, like, it's crazy. Geez, they, got, they got a lot right there. Um, so so that to me that blew my mind, and I remember there was a shop in Cork called um, Gasoline, 
and it was a very cool shop, a bit expensive. Uh, and I'm not sure I could afford the Levi's jeans, but I went in and I got one of the posters, one of the promotional posters that came with that, and I hung that on my wall. Like, that's how much of an impact they left on me, wow. that I was hanging an ad on my wall because it was that cool. That's that's the most... Uh... That's, that's the most obsessed with advertising at a young age we've heard today <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, on yeah. this show, for sure. The, this was, uh, was a BBH? That's right. That's right. Yeah, BBH. So so the interesting backstory on that, right, because I, I, I went and, and, and researched it, was that, that Levi's was always kind of cool, really, you know, and yeah. in their advertising in the 80s, music was a big part of it. But what they did was they were using kind of classic rock tracks. And when I was thinking back, it was actually the first time I had heard a couple of really big songs. It was the first time I heard uh, Space Cowboy by the Steve Miller Band. I don't know, like that, again, probably before your time. But I remember some guy taking off his jeans and it was that. Some people call me a Space, Space Cowboy. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I and I, I thought that was a Levi's ad. I didn't know who sang that song. It was the first time I heard uh, heard it through the grapevine. Which, which I think is actually that classic Levi's ad, the guy taking off his jeans in the laundrette, you know, where he's yeah. where he's uh, he's washing his jeans. Yeah. And heard it on the grapevine, heard it through the grapevine. I was just like, that's an amazing song. It was the first time I heard uh, the clash, should I stay or should I go? Mm-hmm. So all of these kind of, you know, it was always indelibly kind of linked to music. Uh, and I think Ireland, even when I was growing up in the 90s, how you found music was so important. Because your friends influence your music. You know, like when you used to, like I was only talking about Extravision there to someone about two weeks ago, um, how that brought film to me. When you'd go into the CD shop and you'd be like flicking and you'd be looking at the artwork and yeah. like, oh, I don't know who this is, but I want to yeah. buy this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. So so the interesting thing that they did there, and I like, I so I, I found the guy's name. His name was uh, Sir John Hagerty from BBH. Mm-hmm. And he, he was saying that obviously it was really important that, that, um, <clears throat> That, that music uh, was associated with, with Levi's and it was going to be that kind of cultural event. They changed that during the 90s. And he was saying that they couldn't change the product themselves, but they could change how they communicate the product. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to show that Levi's was so fashionable, they could find an obscure song and make it a chart hit, which wow. is amazing power. You know, yeah. so it was like, we're so <laughs> ahead of fashion. We're going to tell you what's going to be number one in a couple of weeks. Now- that is the epitome of confidence right there to Absolutely. go into a boardroom and, and pitch that and it work. That's totally. amazing. You know, and, and that boardroom would have been used to, well, listen, you know, we're going to use Marvin Gaye. That's how we're going to sell jeans or, or we're yeah. going to use the clash. We're going to use songs. And they were like, no, we're, we're going to be ahead of the curve. We're going to tell kids what they're going to be listening to. We're going to yeah. tell top of the pops what's going to be on their show. Like the amazing confidence. Um, but, but that kind of swagger and that, you know, that, that kind of, you know, weight that they were able to throw around, that the brand was able to make that kind of biggest statement is yeah. incredible. I, I, um, and and Shane, to your point then as well, like I would have ran down to HMV and bought that single. So the, mm-hmm. the band's name were uh, Babylon Zoo. The mm-hmm. funny thing about that was even though it, it, it became so popular, that that little part of the song isn't actually reflective of the no. song itself. At like thirty no. seconds, it descends <laughs> yeah, into yeah. shit song. <laughs> so so kind of it, it kind of descends down into this kind of industrial weird, kind of yeah. weird uh, post pop song. Uh, you know, so I would have went off and bought it, and that song became the fastest selling single um, since the Beatles' "Can't Buy Me Love." Wow! So again, like for for a brand to do that to make everyone run down to HMV and go, "I want that! I want that single." 
to then ultimately go home and put it on and go, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> oh. <Yeah. laughs> you know, so it goes from that really high-pitched, you know, ultra-cool spaceman to then this kind of weird dystopian <laughs> kind of th- metal thing. I think they saw, I think Hegarty and BBH saw an opportunity with counterculture in the 90s to take it by the scruff mm. of the neck. Yeah. With counterculture, there was, there was so many splinters coming out of different areas like Seattle, particularly in music, right? And mm. I think what he saw was an opportunity to go, oh, this has no master. We can kind of guide this to, as long as we're not the establishment or we don't appear to be the establishment, we'll come become part of this counterculture and we can help influence yeah. it. Because there's even a shot in that ad that I have freeze-framed here for myself. It's the two skateboarders. Yeah. Mm. And the two skateboarders, one with the dreads, and they're like in shock of the Levi. So the, the, the most... Yeah unimpressed generation of the 90s who it was uncool to show any energy Mm. are like Mm. taken back by this universal gene and i think that's what he was i think there was an he saw an awful lot of opportunity and money money and a generation floating around without being who didn't want to be influenced right and they were all about not being told what to do so let's tell them in a different way you know i think you're spot on because i mean the the audience really would have been Gen Xers. So like, I'm yeah. just kind of younger than them. So the, you know, the Nirvana generation, the people who are cynical about everything. everything. So, so, so I think that's actually a really, really good point. Yeah. That's great. That's, ad. A, that's great a great ad. selection to kick us off in. Yeah. Mm. Um, so how, uh, how does your next, uh, how does it flow into your next ad? Can you introduce us to what, what we're going to see next? Yeah. So the next one is called Clayman, um, which is kind of like a claymation kind of stop motion kind of thing. And again, in the mid nineties, like that would have been premium. Like that to me was nearly like Pixar. You know what I mean? It was like so entertaining, so eye catching. Um, and again, I would have enjoyed that much more than I would have enjoyed the actual thing that I was watching. So you hold up kind of a very stale format, like, you know, home and away to then this claymation thing. Um, and again, the music for me is just absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to play that and close your eyes nearly, you don't even need, need to see the ad. Just the confidence, the swagger and the coolness of the song really struck with me. Right, let's Perfect. go. Well, before we watch that, I just want to give you a warning there, uh, Keen. Just be careful what you're saying about Home and Away. Uh, we've, we've a lot of fans of Home and Away on the uh, <laughs> show. So. No, no, we don't, Keen. You tell your truth and do not feel sad. <laughs> I'm the counterculture. <laughs> Brilliant. We'll have, have a look at the uh, at this. Mr. Bombastic, we all just a bombastic, romantic, fantastic. Mr. Lova, 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 and Mr. Lova, 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 girl. Mr. Lova, 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 and Mr. Lova, Lova. She called me Mr. Bombastic. What a belter. Belter of a Isn't it? Isn't it? Like I can think back to to 14 year old Keen trying to work up the confidence to talk to a girl and just listen to that and I'm like yeah. I'm as cool as Shaggy I'm as cool as Shaggy <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you feel like you can wear shades at night time you know absolutely what I mean? listening to that yeah. song. 
Totally. And it's funny. I mean, so that's Shaggy, who we now know as, you know, it wasn't me and an angel and all those hits that he had around kind of 2000. But this is in 1995. So he was still kind of like he wasn't as well known. He was still kind mm. of considered to be discoverable. I think he had, he had a song that he was on my radar um, in about 1993 called uh, Oh Carolina. Oh, Carolina. It's kind of like a, a kind of a reggae kind of fusion song. Okay. I think I had uh, now that's what I call rap '93 or something like that, and he would he would have been on that. Um, but I'd uh, love to have looked through your CD collection, Keen. <laughs> you have a very eclectic uh, taste that you're throwing out there. I'd say it's, it's, it's a it's a real whirlwind. Yeah, it's it's very odd. Yeah, um, <laughs> but but in that, so again, like that that sound. I mean, to me, still sounds really really fresh. That kind of weird, like bam bam, like it's unbelievably cool. Mm-hmm. Um. So if I if I go to the the um, the advertising message, so double stitched for extra strength, right? So it's like the jeans are so premium and so strong it could save your life from a burning building. Like that's that's yeah. essentially what they're saying. And you, you know? do it in a really suave manner. Absolutely, and I mean, I don't think there's anything cooler than that ad. You know what I mean? Like so. Yeah. There's a damsel in distress. There's a guy with slick back hair. He rides a motorbike. Up the, up the ladder, jumps over. Um, he uh, the coolness of him, the little look to the camera, you know, kind of breaking the fourth wall. He's like, "I'm really cool, and I know I'm really cool, and I know that you know that I'm really cool." So everything yeah. was just very self-aware and like a little kind of wink to the audience of kind of nearly knowing that it's it's kind of a pastiche of a hero thing, but but still very enjoyable. Um, uh, the swooning damsel, obviously, and and that's prevalent through through the three ads you know that, mm-hmm. that it has to be called it that the kind of provocative kind of sex appeal that you know yeah. you're wearing these clothes you know and and women are going to be falling all over you which which is very obvious um but i thought i thought the claymation was so fun you know and mm. i think that's like i i don't know enough about kind of animation but it certainly felt like it was uh really kind of like market leading at the time you know that you yeah. know that, that that there wasn't that much proliferation of animation that we're, we're accustomed to now like we didn't I'm have to... sure it's by a, a studio called Animortal. They're right doing an awful lot of stuff they're from based in the uk um what i thought was interesting about that it reminded me of celebrity deathmatch remember celebrity deathmatch very like that absolutely yeah and then yeah. i was like i looked up i was like celebrity deathmatch wasn't until 1998 so yes right. it definitely was market leading but what i was thinking i was thinking about it then as well was because i watched over the christmas you know the films that made us do you see that on netflix yeah. They did a really good one on Jurassic Park, my favorite movie of all time. And uh, they talk about how CGI started to come in in 1992, 1993. And Jurassic Park was really the one that went, oh, we can do this. You don't Mm. need miniatures. You don't need any stop motion. We can fucking get in a computer Mm. and make a real dinosaur. So I think there was an awful lot of transition from miniatures being and this type of animation being incredibly expensive and time consuming and having to find a new place to live because it wasn't going to be on the big screen anymore. So I yeah. think that's why a lot of the time in the 90s and at the end of the 90s, you saw Celebrity Deathmatch, then eventually into Robot Chicken and all that type of stuff later on, mm. that this type of stop motion animation moved somewhere. And this is probably its first foray into this type of space. Um, but I yeah. thought, because uh, CGI is just boom, going straight up at this point, you know. Mm. Um, but it's, I just thought it was, it was, it's just so cool. Like, and it's tapping into that Planet Hollywood 
mentality yeah. of the 90s yeah. you know what i mean now all those guys at that stage were, were aged out in their 40s but they still were cashing in big on, mm. on on the movies but it's it's just so slick like it's so cool i love uh, mm. i love um how how kind of self-aware it is yeah. in the sense that you know there's loads of little things going that puts you as the audience in the piece so your man getting squashed by the motorbike going up the ladder the yeah birds shitting themselves on the line your man just in the jacks so like they're yeah. like okay this is a whole fantastical scene but it's happening in the real world where there's actual stuff going on yeah. around the the whole thing I, I i like that kind of rooted it in a bit of normality if, if that's mm. the right word to use it really reminds not, me of the uh, film last action hero just the minute i see yeah, it because it, yeah. it is tongue-in-cheek um, very much so yeah very much so like it, it's very weird that it's an ad and yeah. it's a little bit of like let's just have a bit of fun here now like we're not going to take ourselves too seriously and yeah. I, I love the just like you're saying Aaron, like there, there's little kind of inside jokes to the audience like i don't know if you see the opening and it's schmidt's hotel mm-hmm. um and i was like oh what's what's that going to turn into you know and then the, the building goes on fire and the lights go out and it for a second it says shit hot <laughs> on it as as your man's wearing the jeans you know, so it's a real kind of like, you know, we wouldn't really normally get away with that. But this is how we're after sneaking it in and, and you're yeah. in on this joke with us. Yeah, you know, so great. I thought it was I thought it was a real kind of inviting the audience in. And, you know, it's kind of nearly like a, a cooler older brother going to go. I'm going to show you something kind of risky now. Uh, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, yeah it, it was I, I did just I did a little bit of reading on this when you sent it up. And it's the first ad that Levi's ever ran completely globally. OK. Yeah, because they, they brought in a global strategy in the 90s. They were trying to influence their global marketing strategy. And the Clayman's the first one that actually ran completely in every single market. Right, right. Was, and you, uh, you could see that, couldn't you? I mean, yeah. like, it, it just has that mass appeal. Um, and I think I think culturally, you could see anyone kind of getting in behind that because it was so kind of market leading. And like it just represents the blockbusters of the era. So why wouldn't you? Yeah, know, yeah. It's going to be successful in Australia, in Europe, in Asia, in North America, in South America. Because Schwarzenegger, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis are making bank in all of those countries anyway. So yeah, yeah. yeah get on top of it, you know. Um, Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's it's class. It's such a good example. It's something that like, it's great when you get to see ads like this that you don't that aren't in your kind of head all the time anyway, and then you got brought totally. back to them. It's it's so cool absolutely and i i just love i love the just even the end of it you know your man on the toilet and just um you know that that little split second <laughs> yeah, of like, yeah. uh, you know and and that way of contrasting this is how cool this guy is and this is probably the rest of the world the rest of the world is this old man who's in the background yeah. nearly for contrast to, to hold up a mirror of just how cool this guy is um, yeah. actually, that's a good and point actually yeah it's showing how uncool two people can look with their trousers on <laughs> it's like there's the cool guy with no trousers on and there's the uncool guy with no exactly on. now run out and get yourself some levi's otherwise you're the old man on the toilet that's exactly. the only way that you can avoid it that's what they're doing <laughs> Sales. uh brilliant well that's a that's going to be a tough one to follow then for your 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 mm. uh, your final ad keen yeah so so i mean the interesting thing about about levi's especially at this time period is that you could pick loads of them like they're all brilliant they're all mm. really really uh really well made they're all really off their time all of the music on them is amazing and um, so i wanted to go for a little more it, it, the music is slightly more obscure and, and you might not know the ad uh, immediately so it's called mermaids 
And interestingly, as I went on to look at it, because it looks beautiful, I think it's a lovely looking ad. It was actually directed by Michel Gondry, who who then went on to to uh, direct Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So again, that kind of Hollywood feel and that kind of nearly the indie kind of um, uh, trends underneath it, I think really kind of give this ad something special. Cool, amazing. Let's give it a go. I'd never seen that ad before. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like it, it's an interesting one. So I I always remember the just the feel of that ad, you know, which is which for me it kind of sums up what we're talking about, like advertising as art. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It nearly felt like I was in a picture or I was in a painting of of a storm, um, and it it's just such a dreamy kind of ethereal ad. You know, and and again, I just thought it was absolutely perfect for for what Levi's were were going for. You know, they like so again. The marketing message is the original shrink to fit jeans, which is mm. which is kind of like a, a very straightforward marketing message. But essentially, what they're saying is that like no other jeans will fit you as well as this is. You know, it's going to mm. shrink to your body size, and you're just going to look amazing in it. Um, and the song itself, I think, is really ethereal as well. So, I, like, I did a bit of reading on that. So, it's it's by a band called Smoke City. Um, the song was written instrumentally first. So it was a DJ gave the song to the singer and the singer said that when she was listening to it, it it felt like she was underwater and it felt like she was swimming around. So she, she wrote then the lyrics to be uh, underwater love. And and then it just married so well then with with the ad itself. So it was nearly like all these magical little pieces uh, fitting together. Um, the, 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 I think the imagery in it is amazing and, and a bit fantastical as well. So it's this yeah. handsome fisherman who's clearly not dressed for the weather at all. I mean, he, he's in a storm. <laughs> what he's a silly bare, fisherman. <laughs> he's barefoot and he's topless. All he has is his, his Levi's, which is... I, I, That's all I you used need. To, well, I used to do um, social media strategies for the Health and Safety Authority. And I mean, they would launch an investigation into his work. Yeah. <laughs> that is not regulation what he was wearing no, um God, so, no. so he's he's battling this uh this storm gets knocked overboard falls down he's going to drown he gets saved by mermaids uh, and i suppose the little mermaid was probably only out maybe a, a couple of years as well so maybe that was that was in the in the ether um they save his life they they breathe water into him um, only then to go the actual thing that they were after was his jeans you know so they they try to try to take his jeans off and and he and he, and he swims away from them um which again so even these kind of like mystical creatures want levi's jeans like that's that's mm. essentially where, where it's going for you is also what they're absolutely saying. <laughs> yeah and, and i suppose the 
I suppose, you know, for, for men, all they're seeing is, well, if I wear Levi's jeans, these kind of beautiful women will yeah. be swimming around me trying to take my clothes off, yeah. which again is obviously very, very uh, uh, provocative as well. Um, and, you know, I, I, th- I thought that, I think that's even really interesting culturally, mm-hmm. um, which could probably be said about the three ads that, that we're talking about today. There's a lot of things in that ad that actually would not fly at all today, just culturally, not a hope. Like, so in that one, no. People forcibly trying to take your clothes off wouldn't work. Um, similarly, in the first ad, which is something that we didn't uh, speak about, is obviously that that beautiful girl going home to her dad, and the neighbors looking over, kind of perving yeah, on yeah. on the girl. That that's not okay, you know. But in the nineties, <laughs> it was a bit of a, uh, uh, you know, she, uh, <laughs> you know, a little bit of a oh look at that, See, you know. Again, would not happen, no, which yeah. is really really interesting. Um, I thought there was um, a lovely nod in this ad and could be reading too much into this, but given the, the, the director and, and, and the the high high quality nature of, of, of her work, mm. the, like when, when he did fall into the water and, and you had that lovely audio uh, pullback to give you that immersive sound that you're going into the water, before you saw the mermaids, you could hear hear the kind of mermaids or kind of that 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 kind of song mm. build up is almost like a nod to the, to the homer odyssey classics and, and that siren Absolutely. kind of uh, yeah. calling them towards something they shouldn't go to kind of thing mm, yeah yeah that i mean that that's a really nice point on it and it 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 does feel like this kind of mystical like i'm in a fairy tale kind of thing mm. um and you, you like you quickly forget that's an ad. <laughs> like we, yeah. like I'm like as you're as you're describing it, it sounds like you're speaking about this kind of Greek mythology. You know, yeah. at yeah, no point. Yeah, at no point do I feel like this was pitched in a boardroom. You know, <laughs> in the nineties. In the nineties. <laughs> yeah. To, to probably old white men who were like, I, I just don't get it. I don't get you, young folks. How um, many jeans will this sell? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And. And again, then to take the real gamble, which is to pluck this totally obscure song that no one has heard about, mm-hmm. but that just marries yeah. so well to create this really perfect piece of art. Well, yeah, I think, it, I think the, 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 the melding of it with the visuals is, is, is really well done there. But just on mm. the visuals, once again on these, the 90s is such an interesting time from a production point of view because it's monstrous change, especially from mm. what's acceptable and what's a bit able to be done. Like 10 years before this, trying to shoot something underwater is damn near impossible also would cost probably 10 million dollars you mm. know what i mean um and let alone the the kind of chromatography that they have done on the skins and things like that like leave that aside just actually having to go through the logistics of getting a crew to be able to shoot underwater and getting the camera to shoot underwater in the 80s doesn't happen mm. really um and as well like if you if you see that there's only 2 years between like the the other two in 1995 and this one and stylistically this one is so much further on it's so pushed you know what I mean it's so it's it's like you say it's like being in a piece of art and once again that's Mm. because they're able to now in 1997 Mm. you know what I mean they're actually able to do this where they weren't able to do it and like Flat Eric ad only comes out two years after this in 1999 yeah so like talk about in a four-year swing go from Spaceman to Flat Eric and mm. the range the brand is showing people <laughs> is absolutely <Totally>. insane. <laughs> absolutely. You know, and I, I think that's how they, you know, the, the bravery of that then, 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I suppose we've all been in boardrooms, which is like, well, that's not really our color palette. And, you know, that's not really, that's <laughs> yeah. not our, our yeah. brand purpose. Whereas they, you know, again, I keep coming back to the, the word that, that John Hagerty said, with the swagger of it, yeah. you know, the, mm. the bravery of it to, to be able to, and I suppose that's the, where the strength of, of them being able to really dictate where culture should go. You know mm. what I mean? That that kind of bravery, they weren't restrained by anything. They were like, I have a dream. Let's make that a reality. On the back of that, it's going to change culture. On the back of that, we're going to sell a lot of jeans. Yeah. You got you to gotta love that, though, because like that is the mm. brand essence. It's because. Why are you doing this? At, are the mermaids going to be with our brand for the next 10 years? No. We're only mermaids yeah, for yeah. six months, and then whatever. We're out of here. And it's like, why? Because we're Levi. That's what we do. Absolutely, and it's like, yeah. you or, love that. Yeah. That is swagger. It's it's Mister mm. Bombastic as a fucking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you you can't really be be those kind of culture creators and and, and directors if you are second guessing everything you're doing if it's mm. the right thing. So like it, it you kind of need that freedom in the boardroom and kind of from the C suites to be able to let this live and breathe and evolve the way the way it has. You'd love to sit in the boardroom though. I love. We talk about this when we talk about great ads on this, and you're like when this one was pitched you'd love to see especially if you say levi was your client and we've all been in those rooms and you're like you see something being pitched to your client and you're like oh they're not gonna like this mm. <laughs> or you know what i mean you see it you see a reference and you're like oh, oh i'd love to be in the room when some of these things are being pitched and especially like that boardroom is signing this stuff off like this vastly different stuff like within six yeah. months of each other like it's like yeah yeah mermaids this time yeah claymation yeah that's great yeah class yeah sign it off sign it with cgi yeah spaceman yeah do it mm. <laughs> you gotta love it you only need that much okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and again like it just i keep coming back to that word like just swagger you yeah. know what i mean like mm. you, you can see that you know they probably go into the boardroom and just go we're going to create a piece of art and uh, we're going to take this obscure song and in a couple of weeks that's going to be all over the radio yeah. we're just like okay great let's do yeah, that yeah, yeah. CFO and again it like it's so of its time though like Shane I think you're completely right like you could not recreate that no no no, no, definitely it's um no that's they're they're three really they're brilliant they're really Mm. cool lads and they're like it's great to see them all lined up like that you know yeah you know there was one then that I was debating and and ultimately didn't didn't go for and uh, it it was the one that had a song called uh, turn on tune in cop out which is fat boy slim's band before he became Fatboy Slim. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. So Norman Cook's band called Freak Power, uh, which is really interesting. Now, the reason I didn't want to go with that, right, was I think the song is incredible in it. Um, I thought it was too provocative. Um, and and I felt as a white straight man, I, I'm very uncomfortable with the insinuation that it makes against the trans community. So I mean, right. feel free to go, go Google it yourself. But again, it just shows what a completely different time it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like it, it obviously, on the one hand, there's a lot of representation there. But, but on the other hand, I don't have the expertise or the authority to, to explain why it's making me uncomfortable. I know what you but mean. But again, like for yeah, a yeah. brand to be that provocative, you know, like they, they would have fought with the uh, Advertising Standards Authority. And I, I think there was probably even a, like a, a watershed moment or a watershed time that, that it, it couldn't be uh, broadcast before. Right, but right. again, for, for a brand to be calling the shots like that and to be changing national discourse around certain topics was amazing. And then, I mean, to, to circle back around its effect on music, uh, Fatboy Slim said that to be used in an ad was absolutely a blessing. 
that you know they were touring around small clubs and venues trying to get any sort of traction um, and they were kind of like an acid jazz kind of band um, uh, they, they released that single it got to number 29 after being on the ad it got to number 5 so straight yeah. away just the, the sheer weight and yeah. of the endorsement of Levi's as a tastemaker and culture could make or break um, a band that was the other point oh, sorry, I wanted to make was on Spaceman your man, mm. um, whoever the lead singer is, it Les something. Uh, so Spaceman, his, his name was Jazzman. Jazzman. sounds like Jazzman. That's it. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. It's Jazzman. And uh, Hegarty was talking. Apparently your man didn't want them to use it. And Hegarty was That's like, right. are you fucking stupid? This is going to make you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Absolutely. you got to yeah, and, that and power. Like, like. Yeah, and, and, and that lady from Smoke City, um, she what was interesting about her she was like we absolutely got discovered on the back of it but her record label felt that um they didn't need any more promotion of the album because they were like oh you're in a levi's ad we don't need to promote you anymore and ultimately that led to their downfall because everyone just called them a, a one-hit wonder and they never oh. went anywhere after it oh god so it, was, it could have been a, like a, a blessing or, or, a, cor- or a, a curse person. yeah yeah it's, there's it's a regular theme um music and ads that come up on on this show we've had mm. two specific episodes on it and this is this is a, a third but very different take on it um mm. as it's quite refreshing to see it to see the the the, the journey through one brand but so many executions in a short space of time like they are mm. landmark executions all done within two three years of each other and we know that there's there's more beyond so thanks very much for, for picking that team and mm. kind of stringing that that together in the way you did it was it was, re, it was a really nice narrative uh to to, to experience uh, i think and i'm only left with kind of one question is did you actually have a pair of levi jeans in the mid 90s I don't think I did. I actually a funny story. One, one <laughs> so of advertising my advertising doesn't work. <laughs> no, no, I know. I no, I definitely did. Um, no, I definitely did. I had a black pair of Levi jeans that I wore with nice. my black Liverpool away top that had the you know the, the stripes down there. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely wore them to a to a teenage disco. But at that time as well, kind of rave culture was there. So I'd really you know the big stupid baggy ones. Yeah, I think yeah. they're called like extreme or or something jeans yeah. like that. But a friend of mine who actually went on to be a car curler, um he uh, wanted Levi's jeans so much, so badly and his parents wouldn't buy them. So he actually stole the label off his brother's ones and got yellow thread and stitched it onto his own wow. uh, Dunn's jeans. So, so I mean, the, the, <laughs> the innovation out of a 14-year-old kid to learn how to, to thread a needle just yeah. so he could have the, the illusion of Levi's jeans. I can imagine That's the amazing. next day, it's like, why is your index finger covered in plasters? Oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> but look at these levers yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant Keen. thank you so much we're, we're, we're bang out of time with that um, they were a great selection so thank you so much if, if anyone is listening to this uh, episode and wants to kind of see those ads head to uh, workwithfo.e forward slash podcast and you can watch the full uh, the full episode uh, there um, uh, Keen again thank you very much uh, and uh, yeah we'll see you all again next week thanks so much guys thanks so much,